<laughs> All right, well, perfect. Thank you. Today, we are going to look at two parables from the Word of God. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4. I love, friends, that Jesus told parables. I'm a sucker for a good story, and the parables, I think, deliver on that. Now, Jesus' parables somehow tear down the idea that when God speaks, it must be this thundering voice on the mountainside causing us to tremble. But we find Jesus in the parable using everyday words and examples that meet us right where we are at and teach us about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And in parables, there's what's being said and what is unsaid, the direct, the indirect, the straightforward, and the hidden. And by telling stories, Jesus isn't just giving us raw facts, but he is gently inviting us into the truth. And truth, especially personal truth, requires more intimacy, more participation, more presence, more time. And parables allow the truth of God to take root in you, allow you to have that truth planted in you and over time have it grow. And in many ways, then, the parables of Jesus aren't just information or mere titillation. They, friends, are revelation. Jesus isn't just handing out mere information here or like Loki using metaphors to show us how smart he is. Jesus is reshaping our imaginations. As humans, we tend to dichotomize or departmentalize our lives, but in his parables, Jesus is putting all the parts together. He's making connections, demonstrating relationships, going over the details of what we are up against and the role of the triune God in our lives and the ways and means that are appropriate to living in the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to look at two parables from the Gospel of Mark. Now, in this chapter, there are four, four total parables. So if you want to pull out your Bibles now, open them up to Mark 4. Eventually, the words will appear on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. Now, of the four total parables, three of them are about seeds, sowers, and plants. And the first parable about seeds and sowers and plants is given at the very beginning of the chapter. It has to do with the soils. It's not our text today, but maybe you know this one. There's a sower, he's recklessly throwing seed. Some of it is falling on the path, some in the rocky soil, some in the weedy soil, and some in the good soil. Jesus goes on to say that the seed on the path is snatched up by the birds. The rocky soil doesn't produce because it can't make it past the heat. The weeds choke out some of them, but the good soil produces a crop. Not a small one, but one that is 30, 60, or 100 times greater than it was. Jesus then goes on to explain this parable to his, his disciples personally, and then we also get that explanation as well. He says, some soil or things of this world make it hard to stay in faith. And in some cases, the opportunity for faith to grow is snatched away. But for those of us who find ourselves in good soil, we bear fruit and lots of it. It's a reminder for us to make sure that the soil we are in is good. Not rocky or weedy or on the beaten path, but deep and rich in Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, friends, that parable, that is a good one for sermons. It helps that Jesus explains it, so then I get it. It's also a good one for me as a person, because I feel like I can control my soil that I am placed in. And in many ways, I can. I mean, I know science and numbers and all that, and I know I'm supposed to water, give sun, and fertilize plants to make them grow. So for my life... I can pick a few things that make sure I'm doing them, and then everything is supposed to be very good. I like to take that parable and make the focus of it the plant, me. And then I focus a little bit on the soil or the things I have to do, but rarely the sower and certainly not the seed he plants. But that's not our text. Our text is this. 
Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. Because the harvest has come. See, this parable hits a bit differently, doesn't it? Teaches us that faith and the kingdom happen without us. Reminds us that we are small and that our God is big. That this movement that is happening is bigger than us. That we are not at the center of it. That when it comes to faith and salvation, we cannot earn it. We're not born with some right to it, aren't owed it, can't pay it, and certainly can't keep it on our own. This parable reminds us of the hardest lesson of all, a truth that rages against our pride and our fear of failure. The most important lesson, that it's not about us. When it comes to faith, when it comes to salvation, we can only receive it. And this is at the same time terrifying and freeing. Terrifying because it has nothing to do with us. Freeing because it has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus, the one we have been called to place our trust in and our faith in. And before you go all Billy Joel on me and say, so it really does sooner or later come down to faith. No, it doesn't. It comes down to Christ. He said he would save you. He gave his life for you. He rose for you. He offers you life and forgiveness. It comes down to him, not you. Truly terrifying because it is not about us, but Jesus. Truly freeing because it is not about us, but Jesus. Jesus to do what he said he would. And that leaves us with this pull to trust or pull to doubt. Now, the pull to trust leads us to hope. And hope, because we can't obviously see the growth of the stock, the grain, the four kernel, they don't come right away. Sometimes it takes a long time. It means that we have to live not by the things that we see, but by hope in what God has promised. And hope is super important. It's why the Apostle Paul listed it as one of the three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. But against hope, against what is unseen, are the things that are seen. The doubt, the worries, the trouble. Doubt, worry, and trouble seem to always be around us. We can see them. We see the lack of change, the lack of the futility of it all. We see the pain. We experience the pain. Feel the disappointment and experience the trouble that always comes. How are we to fight against doubt and worry and trouble? Fight against the idea that despite what is happening, despite everything that we see, our God reigns? Despite what happens to us, all the pain and suffering, getting sick or whatever, that our God loves us and is working for our good? How do we stand against that pull? How do we fight against that doubt? And I think that this parable brings that question to our minds. Because for mankind, it is impossible we are fighting against a spiritual enemy that is bigger than us and forces that are stronger than us. But Scripture tells us that with God, all things are possible. And that's why it's terrifying and freeing. Because we can't ever forget and we have to remember that we are not on our own and we can't do this on our own. On our own, we're susceptible to doubt, to anger, to fear, to so many emotions. 
Not to mention the exhausting amount of time we spend trying to make everything okay or form some sort of plan to get through all the trouble. I don't need to tell you or list out the many, many things that are bigger than us. And on our own, we can't win. We might be able to put up a fight, be able to do it for a little while or at least fake it. But if we don't go to Christ, it doesn't matter. We have to learn to surrender to the idea and the desire of doing it alone. We have to learn to trust that the one who is in us is greater than the one in the world. The spirit that has been planted in us, given to us in our baptism, is greater than whatever you are going through, is stronger than whatever you are against. Friends, you have not been promised that you will overcome every battle you face. You have been promised that you can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. And that's a big difference because this parable reminds us to look at the big picture not just the dots, Cameron Fry. That's Ferris Bueller's day off. You don't have to Google that one. This isn't some one and done thing either, friends. We got to keep going back to this each day, each time. And I think that's what Paul was getting at Philippians 4, my friend Ryan's favorite vo- verse. I bet he could memorize and speak it for us. He was talking about fixing your mind on things above, Paul was. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen from me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is reminding us to keep thinking and keep trusting in the God that is bigger than us, the God that is guarding our hearts and minds, the God that is close and near, the God of peace who is with us always. And he highlights in the midst of that thinking and trusting, that head and heart, the doing, the spending time and having experiences in and with God, because trust is built on time and experiences. And as human beings, we are an unceasing flow of experiences moving through time, whether that is the sacred timeline or multiple branches of reality. Let me hear it, Loki fans. Two of you, the rest of you gave me the holy nod. That was fine. I'm going to keep going. To be alive, whether you're sleeping or waking, you have the capacity to experience reality. And it is the sharing of experiences and time that leads to intimacy and trust. Or the opposite of that. Friends, Christ Jesus shared experiences with his disciples, often in the most mundane ways. Walking, eating, fishing, resting. And just like the parables that are communicated in common, ordinary ways, even though we may not be able to see Jesus, we too share experiences with him in ordinary ways. That's the power of God's word. That's the power of the sacrament that says take and eat. That's the power of the spirit put in us, the power of conversation one with another, the power of joining our hearts together to pray a language that is dedicated for an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord, prayer. As you leave here today, 
What ways will you identify to purposely be aware of sharing experiences with our Lord and with others? Experiences in time that will bring you closer to fellowship, closer to being in relationship with Him. Because Paul says again in 2 Timothy, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. It's that spirit that is inside us that tells us what we are to do. It's the power that can overcome and break the strongholds that keep us in sin. And it's the art of loving and being disciplined to do it that we move and have our being in. Friends, when you are disciplined to do what you are called to do, you grow in experiences and spending time with our Lord. When you love and answer the call that he has placed on you, you grow in experiences and spending time with him and others. All that he has placed in your life. And make no mistake, the kingdom of God will grow whether we are awake or whether we are asleep. But just because it is bigger than us, and as God has said, unstoppable, does not mean that we remain passive through it. The joy comes knowing God is doing the work and that the sower participates in the process and that they grow together. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This parable helps the trust, because Jesus did it. Jesus fulfilled this parable. Jesus, friends, is the mustard seed. And his kingdom has come and is here despite of its humble beginnings. No marketing scheme, no proud beginning, a slight beginning with a gradual increase and a glorious consummation. For Christ Jesus came small and helpless as a child, born not to royalty but to a young virgin in a carpenter from a small tribe in a small backwater town, in a manger, surrounded by cattle, shepherds. You want me to keep going or is it too soon for Christmas references? He came as one man with this ministry, Growing up in a despised province, taught for two, maybe three years in neighboring villages, occasionally at Jerusalem, made a few converts along the way, usually among the poor and the unlearned. But then as one man came to die for the world, as one man came for all of us and was planted buried in that ground. And as the one true God rose to be the one who all authority in heaven and earth has been given to. And then went to take fishermen, tax collectors, and sinners to carry his word to the ends of the earth. His gospel message and the kingdom of the living Christ is, as Pastor Tim likes to remind us, the single largest movement in the history of the world. The movement of belonging and following Jesus Christ. The movement that you and I have been called into. Friends, we can trust because of what Jesus has done. We can trust because of Jesus' experiences that he shares with us. And now we truly live, grow, move, have our being, all because of the one. And that story of the kingdom growing in Christ is continuing to be written each day with each breath that we have through ordinary men and women in ordinary ways. Now I forgot to invite the band back up, so let's get those, here they come. happening through ordinary men and women in ordinary ways, through our conversations of talking one to another, through our serving one another in love, 
through our being baptized into one faith, through our loving, and through the ordinary way of inviting, just like the woman at the well did. Come and see a man who is the Savior of the world. Come and see the one. Come and hear the one. Come and experience the one. Because, friends, we have been redeemed by the one. The one Jesus Christ. From small to unstoppable. That is what we participate in.